Well, I don't know, as we come to the end of this great book, this first book of the Bible, if you've noticed, as we've sat together under the ministry of God's word, that there are these recurring themes. There are these patterns that are emerging time and time again in the life of the covenant family. We said very early on when we began to look at the life of Abraham and and to see what God said to him, and God came to Abraham in Genesis 15, and and there in verse 1 he says, Do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. That those were the, the two things. I will be your safety I will be your satisfaction. I will be the one that preserves you. I will be the one who provides for you. And and we have seen throughout how God in marvelous and sometimes unexpected ways has been doing those very things, not only for Abraham, but for Isaac and then for Jacob and then for the sons of Jacob. And now as we are looking at this, this essentially 10th chapter, this 10th section of the book of Genesis, the life of Jacob and the life of Joseph, we are at that that climax where the Redeemer has been revealed. God has revealed uh, Joseph's true identity to his brothers, and God has reconciled the covenant family that had been torn apart by sin and rebellion, and yet God's hand of providence had been working silently behind all of the events in a way that Joseph could see, and yet Jacob often failed to see. And it's interesting as we come to the point here in this section of Genesis where finally after 22 years, think of this, uh, Joseph was sold off as a boy of 17. He is now uh, 39 or 40 years old and, and his father has no idea that he's alive and now having been told that he's alive, he is going to be reconciled to his father and God is going to show Jacob that what he said to Abraham was going to be true for him, that God was going to show that he is the God of redemption, the God of reconciliation, but more than that, that he is the God of preservation and that he is the God of provision. And as we come into these two chapters, and we could very, very easily divide these two chapters into that division, chapter 46 is the preservation of Jacob and the sons of Jacob as God is bringing them into the land of Egypt, and then chapter 47 is the provision for the covenant family, I, I think it would be more helpful perhaps for us to look at three other dimensions of these two passages. First, we want to see this morning the covenant family brought to a foreign land. Secondly, we want to consider the covenant family blessed in a foreign land. And finally, the foreign land blessed by the covenant family. Well, notice this long-awaited reunion is finally happening, and yet Jacob has to trust the Lord as as the covenant family is being brought down into a foreign land. It's fitting that this chapter opens with the first four verses that it opens. Uh, Jacob doesn't say to his sons, "Okay, let's go see Joseph. Let's go. He, 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 He is eager. He packs up. He readies himself. But he goes to Beersheba. Now, that's important because Beersheba was the place where God had revealed himself to Abraham. Some even believe that it's the place where Abraham was called to offer up Isaac. It's it's this place of singular revelation by God. And and before Jacob will go to see the son, the long lost son that he, he didn't know whether he was alive or not, Jacob goes to the Lord. Now that means, and this is the, the really important thing, that means that the journey 
of the believer, the sojourning, very interesting in this, in chapter 47, twice, Jacob will tell Pharaoh, during my sojourning, he will speak of everything that's happened to him as sojourning. That's, that is the typical way Christians view their life. They do not view it in the here and now as if this is their home. This is what they live for. This is what they work for. This is where they'll be planted. Jacob is viewing his life as a sojourner. That is what a believer does. And it's a life of sojourning by faith. As the scriptures everywhere unfolding. And notice now, as he comes to Beersheba, we're told, notice the first thing there in verse 1, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Now, the very first thing that Jacob does, and this is, because I think this is something we don't want to miss, most people would leave God out of the equation. They would rush to see their long-lost child. But the first thing Jacob does is he sacrifices. Now, who sacrifices? Sinners sacrifice. People that know they don't deserve anything good. People that know that their relationship with the Lord is the most important thing. They are the ones that go to the Lord with acceptable sacrifices. And Jacob, as he sets out on his final leg in his sojourning, he goes to the Lord and is a sojourning of faith. He seeks the Lord. He worships the Lord. He calls on the Lord. And notice in verses 2 through 5, God speaks to Jacob. And notice he speaks to him under the name Israel. That's always been that important thing as we've looked at this. Whenever Jacob is called Israel, it is with regard to him being redeemed by God and made a new creature and being the recipient of God's blessing. And God is speaking now to him both by the name Israel and by the name Jacob. Notice in verse 2, God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. Now, it, it calls your mind a little bit to... Um, Jesus, the covenant Lord, saying to stressed out Martha, Martha, Martha. I, I think it's actually significant that he, he addresses Jacob twice, Jacob, Jacob. And by his former name, his, his fleshly name, his birth name, Jacob, Jacob. And, and it's important because there is in Jacob, uh, there is a mixture of fear and faith. There's a mixture in Jacob as he is going to be reconciled with Joseph and going down into Egypt to protect his own family, there is fear. Notice, we know that because God says to him, here I am, he says, I am the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. Now, we don't know all the reasons why Jacob was afraid to make this final leg. God had protected him so many times. I think it is true that Jacob here, even at the end of his life, is failing to see how good God has been to him. He is failing to see how often God's hand has preserved him. He, he is failing to see that God will see through to the end what he had promised to do for him. And, and we see that even in the way he receives his son. When, when he is reconciled with Joseph, one of the things we see is that Joseph and his father are embracing each other. And, and it says in our text, it says that Joseph was weeping and weeping. And it doesn't say Jacob wept. He has been hardened by life. I, I think we're supposed to see that. Jacob has been hardened by life. Um, one of my best friends has constantly said to me, and I need him to continue reminding me this, that there's a big difference between getting thick skin and a calloused heart. A minister never wants to get a calloused heart, and it's very easy from the trials and the tensions and the sin and the challenges. And, and Jacob has a calloused heart. Um, he 
He doesn't weep when he embraces Joseph. And then when he stands before Pharaoh to bless Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, how old are you? And he says, I'm 130. And, and he adds that little addendum. He says, few and evil have been the days of my life. I haven't lived even as long as my father's lived. You see, he's, he's not seeing clearly. Now, I think there's a word there for us because what we're going to see this morning as, as God brings Jacob and his sons down into a foreign land and brings them all together to live as a worshiping community in, in the midst of the world and as he pre, uh, preserves them and provides for them, one of the things that we can learn from this is that um, as we make our sojourning in life and the trials and the challenges come, it's very easy to become embittered. It's very easy to become um, calloused. And, and the way God deals with us when that starts to happen is he reveals himself to us and he reminds us of who he is. So as, as Jacob is seeking to walk by faith and he goes to the Lord to sacrifice, there's fear in his heart and God comes and he tells him essentially four things. First, he says, he says here I am. He says, I'm here, I'm with you. Um, that's the first thing that Jacob needed to make this sojourning of faith to a foreign land. He needed to know God was with him. God said, here I am. And then he reminds him of the covenant promises. He says, he says, I am the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for there I will make you into a great nation. So I, everything I promised your father is promised to you. The same promises of blessing are to you. I'm with you. I'm promising to bless you. I'm promising to make you a great nation. I'm promising to cause you not only to be preserved, but to multiply and to grow. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to make my church fruitful in the world. I'm going to build my church. And everything bound up in that is that God told Abraham that he would bless the nations through Abraham. And that's in Christ, the true Israelite, the last Israelite, that God is going to fulfill his promises. And then he says to him, I will bring you down into Egypt and I will bring you up again. He promises him redemption and deliverance, the exodus. He says, this is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. And you know what happens? Jacob is strengthened. Notice verse five. Jacob set out from Beersheba. Now, I think that's interesting um, because so often, and we've seen this in this series, so often, I think Harry Reader puts this very well when he says, we do not grasp God's word by reading circumstances. We grasp circumstances by reading and knowing God's word. So our inclination is to try to understand what's going on in our life by grasping the circumstances. And, and what we need to do is understand and grasp God's word, and then we get the circumstances. And I think that that is the, that is the most difficult thing in the world for, for anyone to do it. Unbeliever can't do it, and it's hard for believers. But it's the goal as we sojourn, as we make our sojourning, we have to learn to take our circumstances and lay hold and understand God's word and read our circumstances. You know, I think, I don't think this is an overstatement. Every single marital issue, every single relationship issue, every single discontentment issue, every, every single anger issue, every sin issue is a result of us not getting this. And, and you have to think about that. When I 
When my marriage is in turmoil, someone is reading the circumstances and trying to lay hold of them to make sense of it instead of laying hold of God's word to make sense of the circumstances. And whenever I have relationship issues with others, either one or both parties are reading the circumstances and trying to make sense of the circumstances instead of going to God's word and laying hold of it and making sense of the circumstance through the lens of God's word. And every time I get sinfully angry, it's because I'm angry about the circumstances because I can't make sense of them and I'm trying to. So you see what Jacob's doing. Jacob is going to the Lord and hearing the word of God and the promises of God, and he's, he's being redirected to the Lord, and he's being strengthened, and we know because he goes forward. He, he was fearful. He didn't want to go down to Egypt. By the way, nothing ever good happened before this when people went to Egypt, and nothing good happened after this when people were in Egypt. That's the point. He knows the world is a hard and bad place, and God's saying, Go. Go to Egypt. I want you to go away from where I promised I was going to bless you. I want you to live now again at the end of your life. After a hard life, I want you to go. I want you to continue sojourning. I want you to go down to Egypt. I'll be with you. I will bless you. I will make you a great nation. I will take you down. I will bring you up again. And that's how Jacob goes through the circumstances. And he takes his whole family with him. The rest of the chapter is Jacob taking his family down into Egypt. Now, there are several important things we might miss uh, beyond the fact that very clearly he takes the whole family with him and and they are going as the covenant uh, family and in that sense they're moving as the church. They are are sojourning together as the the old covenant church. And um, you, you see that they are they are said to be 70 persons in all. Notice that in verse 25. And you might ask the question, why 70? Um, is, that, is that just God taking note? And I think on one hand we can say it's because they're few in number. And we're going to see how God loves to bless his people when they, they're few in number. And, and when he gets the glory from that. In contrast with Egypt, which was great in number, and the nations around them. But, but there's also this very interesting parallel between Genesis chapter 10 and, and this chapter. And that is when God begins to give the multiplication of the nations, um, the table of nations we call it in Genesis 10, there are 70 nations that lead up to the building of the Tower of Babel. And here God is taking 70 of his people and he's saying, this is my kingdom. This is my nation. This is my work. Um, I, I don't think this is fanciful, the number 70, like 10 and 12. Uh, 7, 10, 12, the, 7, the number of completion. 10, the number of wholeness or perfection. 12, the number of fullness. 7 times 10 is 70. I think that's why you have these repetitions. This is God's work. This is God's doing. God is building his kingdom, and he is leading his people to a barren land. And he is doing it with Jacob at the helm, trusting him and leading his family down into Egypt. And as the narrative continues, we, we secondly see that God's purpose is not only to bring them to the foreign land by preserving them and bringing them, but his, 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 his goal is to bless them in the foreign land. The rest of this section is about the blessing of the covenant family and the blessing of Pharaoh and Egypt. Everything is blessing. 
Joseph is at the helm, the redeemer, the deliverer is there, and everything's blessing. And last week we saw that, that God brought his people, the Jews, into Egypt, and he blessed Jew and Gentile under Joseph, and, and he does that in Christ. It's a prefiguration. It's an echo of the redeemer. Jesus is the redeemer of Jew and Gentile, of the nations. Joseph, standing at the head now, continues to be the agent of God's provision, both for the church and blessing to those with whom the church comes into contact. Now, I think it's important for us to understand first that that God is blessing (coughs) Jacob and his family, the covenant family, not because of anything in them. So think about this with me. Number one, they don't deserve any of the provisions that they get. There, there's not, they can't go to Pharaoh and say, you know what, Pharaoh? That's our brother, Joseph. Bless us. Give us land. They have no right to it. It's not theirs. They have no claim over it. It's the last place that they should be. So they're completely undeserving, merely by God's grace. It's all grace for the covenant family. And, and secondly, that they don't deserve, they don't deserve the land. Uh, they don't, secondly, uh, they should be despised in the land. Um, notice that little section where Joseph tells his brothers what to say to Pharaoh when they come to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh and Joseph have their interaction, and Joseph says, when you come to Pharaoh, tell him your shepherds. And then, it, it's so odd, notice this in verse 34. Joseph says to to his brothers, you should say to Pharaoh, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Now, that doesn't make any sense. So what Joseph is saying to his brothers is, when you come into the land and Pharaoh meets you, tell him your shepherds, because Egyptians hate shepherds. That's what the text says. It's not a mistake. He says, tell them you work with livestock for... The Egyptians hate people that work with livestock. Now, we don't know why they hate people that work with livestock. We don't know if it's because the livestock took up the best of the produce. We don't know if it's just because Egypt thought they were more sophisticated as a society and they had moved away from this agrarian, nomadic uh, development there in the early uh, portions of human history. We don't know. We don't know. There's some rational reason why maybe they just don't like how they smell. And they don't like shepherds. And Joseph says, tell them you're shepherds. What's the point of that? They should be despised. And here's the point. God will never preserve and God will never provide for his people without his people realizing that they will never be acceptable to the world. That's the point of that. He doesn't say go down and act sophisticated and try to learn to talk the language and learn all the hoops you jump through so that the Egyptians will accept you. That's not how God works, and that's not the people that get the blessings of God. The people that get the blessings of God are the nobodies of the world, the despised. Paul says this, not many mighty, not many rich, not many noble are called. The base things of the world, the things that are not, the things that are despised, the lowly things. That's the whole point, that that at the end of the day, and I see this in my circles. I see, I see uh, ministers and seminary students and professors who have great intellectual ability trying to gain sophistication. Listen, the cross is an offense. And you will never remove the offense. And in fact, the better you are at telling others about Jesus, the more despised you will be. 
And you know what? That's okay. The Redeemer tells his people, when you go, tell them we're nobody. We're not trying to be sophisticated. We don't deserve the land. We're nobody. In fact, notice what he tells them to say. You shall say, verse 34, your servants. They go to Pharaoh and they're to say, we are your servants. We are shepherds. We are nobody. Now, I think there is a very important word for us. Because the second we think our life in a foreign land is to be lived out by us adjusting and learning how to rub shoulders with the who's who in the world, the best we can is the moment we've lost sight of what the kingdom of God is, who Christ is, and what it means to live in a foreign land. God would not allow his people to forget that he was making a distinction with them. And that's the call of the Bible. He says, come out from among them and be separate, and I will receive you. Do not touch what's unclean. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. God repeatedly says that. Come out from among them. Come out from the world. And you know what? God gives them this amazing provision to help them. And you have to listen very carefully. Jacob and his sons get the best part of the land, which is amazing. But it's not in Egypt. It's on the border of Egypt, and it, it, it was the land it, it would have been, and I know this is somewhat crass, but southeast Germany, Hitler set apart for himself as his vacation spot, Bavaria. Pharaoh, we're told, this was the land of Ramses. This was the best part of the land, and God gave that to his people, but he did that to protect them from the idolatry of Egypt. He did that to keep them separate from the world. Now, here's where this is remarkable. The last time the covenant family uh, mingled with the world, it didn't turn out good. Remember Simeon and Levi. Remember what happens with, with Dina. Remember Shechem takes Dina, and then the brothers go, and they bludgeon the men. It didn't turn out well. The church did not do good in the world. Now, now God has transformed his people by his grace They're ready to admit that they're nothing. They're ready to admit they deserve nothing. They're ready to call themselves Pharaoh's servants. They are acting like Christians in the world. You know, we are all so guilty of not acting like Christians while we sojourn in a foreign land. We are all guilty of not acting like Christians. We are guilty of compromise and we are guilty of self-righteousness and judgmentalism we are guilty of acting like we deserve certain things the world doesn't owe us anything the world owes us nothing Um, the second we think we should have this or that this leader or that leader or this or that is the second we think we deserve better we are sojourners and we are to live as christians and here The church has learned by God's grace what it means to live humbly before the world and separate from the world. Now, they're not going to remain separate. We're going to find out that Israel, as they grow, they intermarry, that there's idolatry galore, and God has to redeem them. But at this point, God is separating them. John Calvin has this amazing statement. He says about God separating Israel here when he blesses them and putting them in Goshen over in this this rich but separate land. Calvin says, the Lord often permits us to be despised or rejected by the world, that being liberated and cleansed from its pollution, we may cultivate holiness. So, so when the world hates you because you're a Christian and you're, you're not sophisticated in the world's sight, and when, when worldly friends think that you're, you're weak 
and that you're, you're, you're lame and that whatever else, and they oppress you or they think ill of you and you're not invited to things, you know what? Rejoice. God's producing holiness in you. That's what Calvin says. That's how God produces holiness. He, he protects you from the corruption. When, the worst thing in the world is for God to say, hey, here, go to the world. Live with the world. Be like the world. It's the last thing I want the Lord to do is to turn me over and say, you know what? Go live with unbelievers. Go live, have your desires fulfilled. But the Lord graciously separates and blesses and he gives them abundance and Israel grows and God is preserving and he is protecting all along despite the origins of his people, despite the fact that they don't, don't deserve anything, despite their former manner of living and despite the fact that they are nothing. Now finally, we see that the foreign land is blessed by the covenant family. Now, I already mentioned that there is just blessing. Um, it is not just God's people who are blessed, but by virtue of God's blessing on his people, Egypt benefits. Um, everything about these chapters shows us that they are benefiting. They're benefiting from Joseph's wisdom. They're benefiting from the blessing of Jacob. Notice that twice, when Jacob comes before Pharaoh... By the way, he's the only one. This is very interesting and important. The world is being blessed by the church here. And I've just told you that Jacob's sons acted like servants and said to Pharaoh, we are your servants. But Jacob never says to Pharaoh, I am your servant. And twice we're told he blesses him. You see, the lesser is blessed by the greater. The lesser is blessed by the greater. The principle at work is that God, though his people seem lesser in the world, we seem lesser, we're despised, we're rejected, we're not thought well of, we're not, we're not praised and revered by all, but by virtue of God's grace and by virtue of Jesus Christ, God chooses to cause his people to be a blessing to the unbelieving world. And the unbelieving world benefits from the church when the church is walking with the Lord and separate from the world and yet seeking to be a blessing. And notice what Jacob does. We're told Joseph brought Jacob in in verse 7. Joseph, by the way, just as an aside, uh, Harry Reader said, and I thought this was helpful, Joseph, some have said he's a politician, in this chapter because he's, he seems to be doing this political uh, negotiating and, and bargaining. And, and Harry Reader says he's a statesman. He's not a politician. The difference between a statesman and a politician is a statesman actually cares about people and a politician just cares about getting elected next. Joseph is acting with statesmanship. He is caring for God's people. He is caring for the church. He is mediating for the church, and he brings Jacob, his father, and notice verse 7, Jacob blessed Pharaoh, and then after telling him his age, verse 10, Jacob blessed Pharaoh. So, so Jacob was the agent of God's blessing. Now that means, if you're united to Jesus, no matter what your job is, no matter what your calling is, no matter what stage of life you're in, no matter what your background has been, doesn't matter. If you're united to Christ by faith, that means God has kept you in this world sojourning here in a foreign land together with his people 
to worship him, to extol his name, and to be a blessing even to the world around you. And that means we should consciously be thinking, how am I bringing blessing to others? Because God has graciously and in an undeserved way poured his blessings out on me. That's, that's really, that's the, the reciprocal response to the gospel. How can I be a blessing since God has redeemed me in Christ, has forgiven me, has given me everything, has preserved me all the days of my life until now, has protected me and has promised to bring me to glory? How can I be a blessing to others? How can I benefit others? How can I do them good? And then you see that not only Jacob is blessing Pharaoh, but Joseph comes and you see further blessing on Egypt. The the famine was severe. The grain was gone and, and Joseph uh, devised yet a, a phase two of his plan and an and, and ongoing provision for not just God's people, but for the world. You know, I prayed this morning in my prayer that God would use um, believers in the Congo to bring about change, not just to the lives of others, but to everything. Because, you know, it's what you hear in this church that created Western civilization. You don't like Calvin's theology? Then get rid of your house and move to Iran. The gospel brings blessing even to societies. We have Western civilization, not because Western civilization is better because it's a better human invention of people that think they did better, but because God blessed his people and his people were a blessing to others and you have the same commission. Today, you have the same commission to do good. Now, two things. One, that starts in the church. That is, that is glaringly obvious. The overarching picture in Genesis 46 and 47 is that God's people are together. If it doesn't start there, it's not going to go out. If, if our love is not to be together in worship every Lord's Day, to be together, be committed to each other, serving each other, building each other up, loving each other, and caring for each other, it's not going to happen out there. It will not. It won't because you'll be living out there. That's what that means. They are together. They are separate. They are together in a foreign land. And by virtue of them being together under God's grace and God's blessing and God's provision and God's protection, they become a blessing to Egypt. That's how it works. That is God's infinite wisdom. His church is for the blessing of the nations because Jesus is for the blessing of the nations and the church is Jesus' bride. And Jesus is the son of Abraham And everything God says to Jacob is fulfilled in Jesus. And everything Joseph typifies is fulfilled in Jesus. And every blessing that accrues in this fallen world is by virtue of Jesus Christ and what he did at the cross. There would be no blessing. There would be no common blessings, no partial blessings. No, You know, uh, one writer said here, a man or a woman that get this think that the smallest piece of their daily bread is the greatest blessing God could have given them. A man and woman that really gets this thinks that even if they just have a small piece of bread, that is an enormous blessing from God. Now, I want to call us to a few things this morning. I want us to consider, I want us to ask whether we understand that we have been called out to be separate from the world. That's a question we can never tire of asking ourselves. And, and then does my life reflect that I'm separate from the world? Not in a fundamentalist sense, but in 
A, I want to please the Lord. I want to be together with his people. I want to live life sojourning with the people of God. I want my life to be lived under the grace of God together with those who his grace has been manifested to in walking in holiness. That's, that is the big question. As we sojourn, we've got to ask ourselves, does my life reflect that? And then secondly, we have to ask ourselves, am I seeking to be a blessing to others around me, or am I seeking to ostracize those that are not like me? You know, Pharaoh didn't reform to get the blessings he got from Jacob and Joseph. It was the common grace of God pouring off of the people of God. My dad used to say when we were young, and I think he's right, I can't prove this, so if you're one of those people that love statistics, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't prove this statistically, but my dad used to say, um, when true believers live even in a neighborhood, and, and they're really walking with the Lord and worshiping the Lord, that even their neighbors will be blessed around them the way Egypt is being blessed by the church here as they dwell in Goshen. I, I think he's right. I think my dad is right. And I think the more we're conscious of that, the more we'll desire that, and the more we desire that, the more we'll be agents of that by God's grace. Um, I want us to meditate on these things, and I want us to, to realize that the enormous privileges we have, the undeserved privileges we have, everything we have is undeserved, every single thing. It doesn't matter how hard we've worked, what gifts we have. The Lord is so good to us in Jesus Christ. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would make us uh, agents of your grace, even as you have poured that grace out on us, even as you have had mercy on us as you did on Jacob and his family and on Joseph. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the greater Joseph and that by virtue of your mediation, we have blessing and by virtue of your blessing on us, the world around us can be blessed. We pray that you would use us, Lord, though we are nothing and though we are full of sin and though we are utterly helpless and hopeless apart from you. We pray that you would use us and that you would transform not only us, but the places where we go. And so, Lord Jesus, we do commit ourselves to you. We pray that your blessing would rest on new covenant and that that would happen from this place. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.